When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. Welcome to episode 292 of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, your host and registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. And this episode is for you. If you have been invalidated in any way along your journey to examining your complicated relationship with food, if you've ever examined all the messy bits and like why um, it's so complicated and try to connect the dots and verbalize that to someone and found that you just were not believed or told that you were wrong. Oh my gosh, it's it's so ridiculous to even say that statement, but I know that statement and that experience rather has happened today to somebody. It happens every day. It's a really common part and honestly a traumatic part for many people as they're trying to recover their relationship with food, whether it's from an eating disorder or some body image work, trauma work, or from diet culture, not being believed is a really big deal. And we need to change that. And I have a guest that I was so honored to speak with who helped me to more unpack this. And I also am super grateful getting even chills thinking about it because they also wrote their own letter to their body, shared their own lived experience, and then stuck around to talk about it. Can't wait for you to hear this. And this uh, episode features a special guest. And this episode in particular is called a real life episode. And what that means is that a listener can write a letter to food, their body, diet culture, doctors, to anybody really, that 
is pointing to their complicated relationship with food and then stick around with me to explore it. And H. Coakley is a fellow dietitian who agreed to do this. And that's why I'm so grateful because I know for you, the listener, you will gain something about your own experience with food and also help you to be a better human. I want to share just a little bit about H so you know about their work. H is a queer non-binary dietitian specializing in eating disorder recovery for LGBTQIA plus and transgender and gender non-conforming folks from a trauma-informed intersectional lens out of Brooklyn, New York. And like I said, H shared a letter to their body and we're going to hear that letter and the discussion after a quick sponsor break. If you have a complicated relationship with food, I want to help. I have a number of free downloads you can get on my website at julieduffydillon.com slash voice that can get you started. One in particular is my PCOS Power Roadmap. This is the roadmap that gives you the first three steps to move away from diets and improve health while living with PCOS. If you don't have PCOS, I also have some downloads for you as well. Another popular download is my diet-free doctor visit handout. This is one that you can print out and customize so you can tell your doctor via this handout what your boundaries are in session. The cool part on the flip side is it's if you planted a seed, which many of you will with this interaction, it has a list of resources in case this doctor is ready to let go of diet culture as well, which we are all rooting for. So there are those two handouts and a number of other downloads you can get there. So the website again is julieduffydillon.com slash voice. Dear body, I want to thank you for never giving up on me. For so many years, we didn't speak. I treated you like a second thought, something that was only good for carrying my brain around from place to place. It's taken a lot to get to the point where I feel you, notice you, care for you. It took a long time for me to understand what my frustrations were truly rooted in. I had been told so often that surely my disordered eating was about simple dysmorphia, being exposed to too many images of models growing up. And certainly the looks of the early 2000s didn't help, but it was more than that. When I looked at you, I saw a body that did not reflect the androgyny I craved. I saw a body that was too feminized, that drew too much attention to being a quote-unquote girl. I yearned to have a frame that possessed no curves, just angles. The same year that I developed restrictive eating, I had months of crisis, panicking at random times throughout my day that I should have been a boy, that everything about my life and my body was a mistake. The more I leaned into a feminized performance, the worse I felt, until eventually I felt nothing. My body was now a tool for getting me around. It was something to be punished and minimized and contorted. Because I didn't understand what to make of myself, because I didn't have the language to name myself, because it felt like there was no other way. COVID has caused many gender transformations. It's given folks a chance to stop performing, to be with themselves, to be with their bodies. I'm not the only one who began using new pronouns over the past two years. I'm not the only one whose recovery includes a gender awakening. 
And even though I've been in process with my recovery for quite a few years, known the truth of myself for longer, it's only recently that I felt brave enough to say it, to ask others to reflect that knowledge back to me by using the pronouns and name that feel like who I am, who I've always been. I never thought I'd be able to let you be, to see you more as a vessel and less as a receptacle. It's not easy. Dysphoria isn't easy. But each day I accrue more moments. Each day I feel more grateful that you led me here to doing work I love, to having a community I love, to feeling embodied and connected to the world around me. Thank you for being the medium through which I experience it all. H. Hi, H. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. It's so nice to meet you. And I am curious, what was it like for you to write the letter? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was like, it was kind of intense. I mean, I, this is something that I sometimes have clients do. Um, I have written a letter to my body many years ago. So it was very Mm. different to write it now. Um, Yeah, I wrote it really before I was doing this work and had come to a lot of the realizations that are in the letter. So yeah, it was very, um, it was like very touching and beautiful. And I just wanted to give myself a little hug. Yes, totally beautiful. And yes, I was telling you before we push a court, I was like, I'm totally missing up, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it, it seems really beautiful. And especially knowing that you've done this before, um, you know, it'd be interesting even just for, to like, look at both of them and see mm. how the changes are. And that may also add some other layers of intensity though. So yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I, it sounds like there's been some changes and, mm. um, I'm so glad you brought up COVID and, you know, as mm. <sighs> devastating and all the horrible things from it, mm. you're mentioning something that other people have mentioned to me you know, mm-hmm. having time to not perform mm-hmm. and to just be in their body as it is. So I'm so glad you, you mentioned that, but, um, you, um, you're a dietitian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Tell, tell me about that. Like what type of work are you doing and, um, mm-hmm. what kind of experiences have you had as a dietitian? Yeah. So, um, right now I work in in my own practice, private practice, um, full time since May 2022. Yeah, nice. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I was I was splitting it um, with another job, and then I've been able to transition to full time. Very exciting. And I do eating disorder, disordered eating work, recovery work. It's how I'm sure you and I both like to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mostly work with adults. And then in particular, the vast majority of the folks I work with are part of the LGBTQIA and then the transgender nonconforming communities. That's like, I think 80% of who I work with. Um, yeah. And um, I think I've done a few other jobs as dietitians, kind of here as a dietitian here and there, um, some like work in clinical settings, but then a lot of the things that have informed 
I, I did work in a treatment center. That's a big one. Um, mm. It was a trauma informed, trauma specialized treatment center in Memphis, Tennessee. And I did their outpatient program. I was the director of their outpatient program for about a year. Um, but really a lot of the stuff that's informed even how I practice has nothing to do with being a dietitian. I worked on a farm for two years. I was the farm manager the second year. I worked in food justice. So I did a lot of food justice activism programming. And then I lived for a year and a half in a Zen center, Zen Buddhism as like a monastic. I just worked and meditated. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. I I can appreciate why that would inform you even more than like the clinical dietitian jobs, you know, a listener who has no, (laughs) no window into like dietetics, maybe like, what is that? But you know, it's like working in um, higher levels of care hospitals and things like that. But yeah, that those different experiences sound super informative and different Very than different. many dietitians. I, this is random, but what mm-hmm. kind of farm did you work on? Yeah, it was a small, it was about two and a half acres vegetable farm. We just did veggies and then we had mm-hmm. chickens, lots, lots of ch- 130 chickens. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of chickens. Yeah. <laughs> Too many chickens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was just on a, on a small property and yeah, it was, yeah. It was great. <laughs> well, from those experiences, is there anything that you really hold on to, to inform how you interact with clients or how you help them? Yeah, absolutely. It's a big question. I know, but I'm <laughs> yeah, I think, I think each of each of those things that I kind of named, I mean, I think the, the treatment center is obviously like the most obvious in terms of like straight mm-hmm. up training, right? Like an exposure mm-hmm. and practice. Um, I think both with the farm and actually the Zen center, which you people may not think are as related as they are, but they're both very med- meditative, right? A Zen center is obviously very meditative, but a farm is too. It's a lot of, you know, especially if you're a small staff on a big space, you're spending a lot of time doing repetitive tasks, uh, maybe by yourself. And you're often just like with yourself and with your thoughts. Um, and so I think a lot of, that type of work, as well as certainly the Zen Center helps in terms of like how I show up as a clinician and how I hold space and has given me an opportunity to try to talk with people around mindful awareness and just kind of trying to understand, you know, awareness of their thoughts, right? Which is... Mm. Mm-hmm. It can be a very powerful thing. It's not the only thing we need to do, right? As folks working in eating disorders, but it can be really powerful when you start to have the ability to actually pay attention to and have awareness of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly that, and then I think just also like my own bearing, like being able to, you know, clear space so that I'm really present, mm-hmm. um, meditating a lot helps, <laughs> helps with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think the food justice piece, um, I would say more than anything has really opened, opened my eyes to just all of the intersectionality that's involved. And I think has helped me weave a lot of like activism and social justice into the work that I do as far as like talking with people about it, talking about, you know, systems of oppression or white supremacy, fat phobia, you know, the ways that those mm-hmm. things maybe intersect and inform their own eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's so much to that. And I, um, there's a lot to the eating disorder field that 
is lacking and mm. even like harmful. And one thing that I appreciate that's happening more is some clinicians are like acknowledging those systems of oppression earlier, if not at the beginning of treatment, instead of like when someone's quote ready mm-hmm. <laughs> to like mm-hmm. talk about anti-fat bias or something or mm-hmm. white supremacy, you know, how mm-hmm. it's just like built into the system. And that's part of how all this is. Mm-hmm. Um causing all this harm. But mm-hmm. speaking of harm, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, so people that I've connected with over the years that are, that don't look like me, who are not mm-hmm. white, cisgender, mm-hmm. um, not hetero, have they mm-hmm. have helped me understand how lacking services are for people like them and not seeing themselves and, and how that not only is just like, I don't know, it doesn't feel accepting, but also like harmful. Um, and you mentioned some things and also just even working in treatment too. I, I didn't know that. Um, do you agree with what some of these folks have brought to me? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it can be really, yes, it can be straight up harmful. I think, mm-hmm. I think to both things that you said, number one, like not being able to see yourself reflected maybe in the other people in the, you know, in the environment, like in the treatment center community, let's say, or not Mm -hmm. certainly not being reflected on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, It can just feel really precarious. And then kind of similar to the letter, like what was in my letter, you know, a lot of times they're not being an understanding of the difference between dysmorphia and dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just like straight up, like a harmful language, right? Like, yeah. you know, people who, who aren't competent and are using harmful language or asking invasive and inappropriate questions. Mm. So, you know, I think that's, I, I would like to think that's happening less and is changing. <laughs> um, I don't know, cause I'm not in that experience, but certainly people who are coming to me with treatment experience or even just outpatient experience. I mean, some of the questions that they're getting or the stories they tell me are, are wild and it mm-hmm. does harm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can be hopeful, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, but you can see my face. I'm like, eh. yeah. <laughs> well, what yeah. do you think, like, what did you need and what do you, what do you think other people need? That's not provided. Mm. Well, I mean, I think, oof, geez, what a question, <laughs> like a good question. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when I think about a lot of the folks that I work with, right. Like Mm -hmm. if we're looking from a treatment center perspective, I think number one, I would say like validation is what comes up to me Mm. first, right? Like validating the truth of your experience, validating what you're saying is the truth of your experience. Believe Um, people. Yeah. Believing people. Yeah. Basic. Yeah. And I think also like not assuming, not assuming Mm. that some people, you know, I, I did a training and, and also intuitively, right. Like part of the, part of what somebody pointed out in this training is, you know, asking people how they like to refer to different body parts of their body. Right. Um, because, you know, especially when you work with trans and gender nonconforming folks, like there might be certain ways that you refer to the body that like, they don't, that doesn't feel very nice. Mm. So I mm. think like that, like just sort of asking, right. Like using a lot of the models of like consent mm-hmm. and harm reduction, I think also, right. Is like, you know, if someone is on a wait list for a top surgery for two years, 
right? Like I want them to be stable enough to get that surgery, right? Because unfortunately Mm -hmm. we do still have a situation where, you know, a lot of times those surgeries are very hard to get. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also understand that there's going to be a lot of difficulty during the time that, that they're waiting. So, you know, I think there's, there's that too, is really trying to like, look at the harm reduction piece. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of a a parallel, because I'm thinking about um, most people listening are Mm. not clinicians. I do have Mm -hmm. a number of clinicians who listen and and also of course clinicians um, because we all have bodies and relate to food. We struggle too. So like sometimes they're listening from that angle, but if you have someone in your life who is experiencing what you're describing, um, what would be helpful? What What would be supportive? Yeah. I mean, when you say experiencing what I'm describing, what, what do you mean mm-hmm. by that? Um, it's so hard to put into words, like everything that you've just, said. <laughs> well, you know, the looking like you, you mentioned your letter when you, um, looked in the mirror and mm-hmm. your body did not reflect mm. the androgyny you crave oh, something yeah. like that. And, and, yeah. and maybe yeah. someone who's trying to put that all together. And I'm also thinking about somebody waiting for top surgery, mm-hmm. you know, um, may, I don't know if there's, there's probably different needs, but also the same mm-hmm. at the same time. I don't know yet. Is there something that yeah. uh, a support person could provide that comes to mind for you? Totally. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think providing number one, like a safe space where that person can sort of experience their feelings without being asked to like, mm get over it. Oh gosh. <laughs> or yeah. like, you know, it's, it's fine. You'll be fine. You know? Um, and I think really like reckoning with like how track intractable it can seem that you're really feeling mm-hmm. stuck. Um, I think also just trying to work with and support that person in finding like gender affirming care. Um, and just kind of, you know, helping, helping them in terms of like, social media has negative qualities. It also has positive qualities where you're able to find people who are on similar journeys and maybe, you know, they have recommendations or, you know, you can listen to things, podcasts, there are books that can be read that help you feel like, oh, right. There is a community. There are people I'm not alone. Um, and I think similarly also looking into other things that you might be interested or want to do like hormones or there's certain herbs that you can use, um, to like shift certain things in the body that maybe aren't quite as, um, pronounced as hormones. So there's sort of like a a lighter Mm -hmm. touch. Um, you know, so I would say like other things like that, like kind of exploring Mm -hmm. some other options. Um, you know, because again, not everybody's going to want, any medical intervention, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's also going to be about exploring forms of dress or your hair or, you know, things like that. So I think creating a safe space that's very much like, you know, curious and allowing someone to talk and then trying to, if they're interested in a topic, maybe trying to help them find information on that or to find Mm -hmm. others uh, in community that they can be in community with. Those are all really, really helpful, like super concrete examples. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. It, Cause I, and what I hear from all this is like believing someone and not minimizing it mm-hmm. and not like, like just being with someone in where they are mm-hmm. instead of 
trying to necessarily like fix, but just like, let me help you. However, feels like, however you want that support. Um, it sounds like, uh, so many other things in life. Like, (laughs) you know, I think about someone experiencing transitions and grief and just, um, yeah, like it's just, it's so much of what as humans we need is to be believed and validated and someone just sitting with, with us in the hard times too, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I don't, this may be exactly the same answer. So if it is, just let me know, but <laughs> a listener who's experiencing dysphoria, as you described in the letter, what message do you have for them? Mm. Yeah, I think if there's someone for whom like my letter, you know, and, and to be clear, like I, my letter is not necessarily, I'm, I want to draw the distinction. It's not a universalized experience, right? It's just, yep. you know, my letter and it's my yours. experience. Yep. I think it's one that's shared by others for sure. Mm-hmm. Certainly by, you know, people that I've worked with, but by no means is it universal. But, you know, I think for anyone who might've resonated with that or just resonates with the concept of dysphoria is, trying to understand how to, how to name themselves, I would say, you know, continuing, continuing to explore and to try as best you can, you know, depending on whatever environment you may find yourself in, in a safe way, whatever that means for you to continue to try to better understand what kind of hits you right at your center of like, yes, that's me. Um, That's right. And I would say, again, as much as you can to continue to try to move to safety, whether that's safety of meeting others, even if you can't meet them in person, you meet them online. Um, You know, and I think more than anything, to just know that you're, you're not alone, that there are a lot of us and we're out here (laughs) and, you know, I think especially given the current kind of climate in the country, not the weather, (laughs) it can feel really scary Mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, it can really just feel really scary to be like, this is me. I'm non-binary. I'm trans. Like, Mm -hmm. um, So I think that's, that's the thing I think about a lot is like, how can you continue to safely explore and to continue to find, um, things that either have to do with like you and your person and your presentation, um, or community that feel, yeah, that feel like a a reflection of the truth of who you are. Hmm. Yeah, that's that there was something that you mentioned about um can I wrote down continue to explore in a safe way to better understand what hits you right at your center. Mm-hmm. And um it reminds me of what you mentioned in a letter about moving from a receptacle to a vessel, which I mean that that's in when I was like reading your letter before we met and chatted, where I was like, oh <laughs> like that. In a, in a, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's so, um, from someone just looking from the outside, it, it, it showed this like movement 
And mm-hmm. I was picturing, yeah, like a, a safety with mm-hmm. that movement. And um, so that was really powerful. I was like, oh, those words. Oh, thank you for those. <laughs> what What is it like for you to just be? Because you mentioned that in the letter, mm-hmm. like to mm-hmm. just be, mm-hmm. what is that experience? Like, are there words for that experience for you? Um, I think it feels very mm-hmm. meditative. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's like, and and I do think, I think the farm particularly was helpful in this regard. I often find just being something that I'm personally, I'm best able to do when I'm also like engaging my body in some sort of pretty gentle way. So I live in New York city and a lot of times in the morning I will go for a walk. Um, and I don't take my phone. I don't take anything. Um, Zen is very timed. So I somehow still have this internal timer that goes off because wow. every, every sitting period is 25 minutes. So there's some part of me that still like knows when it's been. Um, it's very weird that I can anyway, <laughs> it's neither here nor there, but I will go without a clock or anything. And I'll just take a, about a 25 minute walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find like when I do things like that, or when I was at the farm and I was just like pulling carrots for two hours that there's this kind of like rhythm that I'm able to Mm -hmm. enter into where I'm aware of my body and I'm aware of sensation and I'm aware of like what's around me in terms of my senses, like what I can, which is also somatic practice, what I can see Mm -hmm. and hear and smell, but just also, you know, trying to like bring my awareness maybe down to my feet every once in a while and then kind of come back up. And so it just winds up feeling like, um, like just inhabiting, I think mm-hmm. it feels like I'm just, I'm here, I'm here and I'm in and of the world. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not great. Like it's not, I'm yeah. not trying to make it like a peak experience. It's, what's nice about it is that it's, it's not one or the other. It's just, I'm just mm-hmm. here. It's and in this moment, I'm not, yeah, it's just all of it. It's just, I'm just part of all of it. Mm-hmm. I'm part of everything else that's, that's happening around me. And that's very special because Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what living is yeah Uh, yeah I so appreciate you um sharing this letter reading it and spending time talking about it um I um yeah I just appreciate it for just me as a human being it helps me to better understand different lived experiences which I I'm just really grateful that you're willing to share that um, if someone is listening and is like, oh, H is the person that I want to work with, or I just want to find more out about them, where can they find you? Yeah. So my practice is called Pando, P-A-N-D-O, not Panda, mm. <laughs> Pando yeah. Wellness, which is actually a reference to a colony of Aspens. It's one of the biggest largest like interconnected living organisms in Utah. Um, very cool. Cause it looks like a bunch of separate trees on the surface, but underneath they're all connected to each other. They're one organism. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. It's very cool. It's also like ancient, uh, several thousand years old. Um, so anyway, um, <laughs> my website is pandowellness.org. And then my Instagram is at pando wellness. And that's, that's it. I guess LinkedIn, but you know, that's not as, <laughs> that's not as exciting. So yeah, those two, those two places. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will put all of those in the show notes. And um, again, thank you for sharing uh, your time, your lived experience. I know this is going to benefit many people. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Julie. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with H. Coakley and be sure to follow them on Instagram. And that handle is Pando Wellness and their website is pandowellness.org. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would subscribe or share the episode. Also leaving a rating or review, any of those things that you always hear me say, they always help more people find us. And we want everyone to have access to food peace. So thank you in advance for helping that just to spread all over the world. (laughs) And um, this episode was sponsored by my free downloads. You can get to them at julieduffydillon.com slash voice. Remember, you can get the PCOS roadmap and you can also get the diet-free doctor visit handout. Two handy things to get you going on your food peace journey. All right, I see that food is written back. And until next time, take care. Dear H, we have been through so much together, so much more than most people know. The way the world is built and defines bodies has kept this block between us, keeping us from safe ways to be. This experience of coming back home together has been so worth it. Continue to move towards your truth and what hits you right at your center. You are not alone, even in the times when you experience disconnection. We are still with you, even then, especially then. Love your body. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Brebner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.